Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Bavesh, nice to have you here. Uh, great to be here with you, Sam. Um, so first things first, if you can give us a little bit of background, your role, and um, um, tell our audience who you are. Sure thing. Uh, so I'm based here in Paris at BN Media Group. I'm a global digital director looking after all of our nonlinear television platform activities from developing products, launching technical platforms, to creating digital content and then monetizing it with all of our Uh, partnerships. And prior to this, I worked across different properties like the NBA, broadcasters uh, like Fox Sports and CBS, and uh, gaming companies like Betfair TVG. Yeah, interesting. And one of the, one of the experiences, obviously, when we're based out of Europe, and that always uh, puts stars in Europeans' eyes, is the, your experience in the NBA. How 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 much? Um, How different is it? Is it, and how similar is it working for an international league in the U.S. and an international broadcaster based out of uh, the Middle East? I think they're they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, I think they both have uh, a mission towards serving fans globally. Uh, one's more on the creating of the IP and creating of the thing that drives the fandom, and the other is about delivering it and bringing it and communicating and giving a fans a way to experience it in a shared way. Um, But both look at it in the same way in terms of there's a global fan base, there's a global opportunity, and how do you localize that? How do you create that connection? How do you create those story touch points so that people can get really, really passionate about it and become even more and more engaged as they become um, casual fans, the hardcore fans, and everything in between? Yeah. And how, so I, I'm assuming it's quite useful knowing both sides of the, both sides of the, the picture because you have actually all the challenges that you were meeting at the NBA and how you were packaging everything. And now from the other side on the receiving end, acquiring the content, I'm assuming there are a lot of things that, um, um, you have a bit of interesting background to be able to, uh, to, to, to judge the content you're receiving and the experiences you want to deliver. Yeah. Look, I think. Both the property side and the broadcasters form really, really collaborative, creative partnerships. And in that, they're able to serve the fan authentically and truly. It's not about one side upping the other. There, there'll always be a commercial reckoning every few years to make sure things are fair and equitable for both sides. But you have to think about it as a collaboration and a partnership. And that, when you look at that and you appeal Uh, the onion and go in a little deeper, we're all trying to do the same thing, which is serve the fan and create um, real experiences for them to connect with, create real opportunities for them to engage and go deeper in a way that touches them and makes them feel really, really excited about being part of this global phenomenon in whatever sport that is. And that's the beauty of it these days. I think it used to be the big three or four sports. Now it's become dozens and dozens of places that you can really lean in as a fan. And I think we do that uniquely as a broadcaster, but I think the same way the NBA is monitoring what's happening with all these other sports and always looking to 
reinvent, innovate, and stay ahead so that it doesn't become one day, hey, yeah, it's on its decline and people aren't watching as much to more, how do I stay relevant? How do I refresh? You're even seeing how they're introducing the mid-season tournament <clears throat> as a way to create natural touch points in the middle of a very long 40, 42-week season yep. as a way to create that touch point. And I think that's what broadcasters are trying to do when they have halftime shows and when they have instant game highlights. They're creating touch points that allow you to be engaged and not have to wait. Uh, we're past that point of you could commit three or four days or five days to a test match in cricket and pass time. Uh, yep. People are going second to second. And I think that both the properties and the broadcasters are adapting to that. But that's an interesting one, right? Because naturally you would say, okay, mm-hmm. whether you're the NBA, for example, and let's t- take the example of being sports naturally, you should be looking after the interest of the basketball fan, making sure that they get the best content. But there's also the element of the NBA breaking up their rights in multiple ways. There's the approach of what's happening on NBA Plus, what's happening on the right holder side, what's happening on social media to make sure that there's as much eyeballs as possible on the content. Is it, are you, with your experience, are you seeing leagues and broadcasters actually work more and more closely? That would be the natural sense of the story, especially now that sport is more competing with other sides of the ent- of entertainment overall. But are they collaborating? Are broadcasters and leagues collaborating? Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, the television production is a full collaboration. Every broadcaster that's a host broadcaster is doing that with the property. That's not, here's a chat and come in and do what you want inside of the arena. That's a co-production in the fullest sense. So we're already partners very closely. But when you think of all the other extensions, uh, certainly for us, we operate the NBA website in France and in the Middle East in, in Arabic, and we are the home. When you come to the NBA.com, we are the home as the broadcaster. We are providing all of that coverage that we do during the live game. It's our journalists. It's our talent creating those stories and those extensions outside the game and behind the game and before the game. And that is that natural extension of the partnership. I've seen plenty of other properties do this. It's, it's by no means an exception. It takes more effort. It's certainly a lot more commitment. But I think the commitment is back to that cause. We're trying to create real fandom and opportunities to create deeper connections. We're not just exhibitors of something that we've rented. Yeah. Yeah. So basically beyond the negotiation phase, actually then the organizations work hand in hand during the, 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 the length of the cycle, because there's no other way around it than, um, than actually working together to make it successful on both ends. Look, I think there's always going to be an evolution and the leagues have within and the properties have within their sort of self, um, you know, future growth interest, uh, important to always keep all options open and important to make sure all avenues are fully, fully commercially exploited. And so you'll see them do things to create digital only packages or things that would entice a digital native to come in and challenge the table a little bit. But it's by no means in a way to just opportunistically do something. It's more about making sure all avenues of fandom are fully exploited. Yeah. If if all they ever did is offer a free-to-air broadcast package, would you ever see a streaming package? Likely not, because the free-to-air broadcasters have no reason to. But yeah. as they've really opened it up and said, we actually don't care how you stream it or how you broadcast it or how you deliver free-to-air. What we care is that you exhibit it and that we care is how you make it the most interactive that it can be, how you make it the most engaging that you can be. And then you look at Thursday Night Football on Amazon and all of their production efforts are very much similar to what any of the others, Fox, CBS, NBC do, 
but in their own unique way where they have x-ray and they have other things that they're doing to just take advantage of that interactive experience that is uniquely possible through streaming. But I think it's not because it's dictated to be a certain way. It's more about let's make sure that we can maximize the exhibition of the games in any way possible so that the fans can truly experience it as if they're sitting there in the arena, which is really the epitome of it all, right? As you move up the ladder from a lean back experience to a lean in, you want that person to feel like they're standing right there in the arena and standing and cheering on their team. Yeah. Well, you're preaching to the choir in terms of lean in experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and just so to, we, we, we directly went into that uh, collaboration element, but so just to summarize your role as a, as the, uh, on the digital side of being sports, how many platforms is it? Like how many uh, social media uh, channels is it? Like how, how big is the width of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the activity for the chief digital officer of an organization like BN Sports? You know, it's it's tricky to, to figure out which ones to focus on all the time because there's always something new. Um, but there's always experimentation. And then there's core. And so if we look at core, OTT is very much part of the core now. It was a question mark 10 years ago or five years ago where it was an add-on. And now it's become a direct-to-consumer uh, channel in, in many markets for many companies, including for us. So it's OTT, it's our traditional um, news and editorial experiences on beinsports.com and our apps. And that's expanded quite a bit to all of the major social media platforms where we have vibrant communities. Not only we have tens of millions of followers, but we have highly, highly engaged audiences watching hundreds of millions of videos on those platforms that may not necessarily be able to do the same thing if it was just limited to beinsports.com. And so when we look at the TikToks, the Snapchats, the YouTube shorts that have come out, Instagram reels, Snap um, and Discover, there's always new things and we're experimenting in all of them. Um, I think Clubhouse was something that came and went. We experimented there and we learned from that. And you saw that there is an opportunity for podcasts and audio and audio as a format, but not necessarily limited to that kind of platform. It's something that can be truly open. And so we've launched podcasts that are very wide reaching and across all the platforms rather than limited to just a Spotify or just an Apple. Uh, and as I said, for us, it's about everything nonlinear television. So if there's an opportunity to go create a show, uh, we've created a talk show in Arabic that's on YouTube. And we've we've done that very successful and it's reaching millions of users. Um, whatever that opportunity to innovate and reach the fans through whatever medium is reaching scale, we're, we're across all of them. Yeah, it's, it's just in terms of juggling from an external standpoint, it feels like so many channels, so many editorial concepts for each uh, for each different types of channels, right? Because your strategy has to be yeah. so different from one social media platform to the other and then baking mm-hmm. in what you want to keep for your proprietary platforms or or for your um, paid TV subscriptions. So there's there's just so many things to juggle around with that, um, um, that there's obviously a lot of mapping that must be happening uh, behind the scenes. Absolutely. Look, it's it's not a... It's not formulaic. It really starts with being storytellers and authentically finding stories to tell in each platform. Um, Some of the platforms are really about the behind the scenes and life outside the game, life outside the studio. And that does really, really well, particularly on platforms like TikTok. Others are about breaking news and moments, seconds after things happen, whether it's transfer window or injuries or the starting lineup uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter, and everything in between. Uh, we're, we're seeing people watch magazine uh, style shows that are long form on YouTube and enjoying that, engaging at length um, and seeing the, the mid-roll ad load uh, watch through 
And so it's it's interesting. Each platform has emerged as sort of unique with unique audience requirements. And curating for that is not cookie cutter. It's not formulaic. It's no longer about just taking your live game, chopping it up, throwing highlights up and hoping for the best. You really have to lean in and figure out how do you tell stories and how do you find stories that resonate in a way that those fans are engaging with the content and not just viewing it. It's become an even more important metric is did they hit start or did they watch 80% or 99% of the way through? It's that latter metric that we're really leaning into more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously the exciting side of digital behind the scenes of how you actually get those repeat behaviors and those uh, increased session lengths. That's always a challenge. Um, great. Super interesting. And just to take another step back. So being sports was created 12-ish years ago. Um, you joined at the very beginning of their digital story six years ago. What was the scope uh, that you were looking at coming in and how different is it from what you were originally hired to, to build? Well, the world's changed a lot in the last six years. So what is digital today and what is digital a year from now is always going to change, right? And I think a lot of that is just natural evolution of the definition of digital is constantly expanding. It's certainly not shrinking and it's never getting clearer, but always fuzzier, and always more experimental. So it was that same remit when I came in of, look, we have a website, we have an app, and we have some social media outputs. How do we really lean into this and make it become a driver of the business in a significant way? And there was a gap and it was our OTT service was really a TV everywhere service. It was an add-on to our traditional television business and it was develop an OTT capability that could be a standalone direct-to-consumer experience. I think the industry has done that as a whole. Uh, we're certainly early drivers of that, of pushing and launching OTT services globally um, over the last few years. But the industry's caught up to that. And it's, that's no longer the how do we build OTT. Now it's about how do we optimize them and how do we scale them? How do we make these things that we've launched become real drivers and continue to really push not only the audience reach, but the subscriber potential that you can't capture with traditional television anymore, uh, where that's shrinking or where that is uh, becoming a finite capped audience. It's the OTT that's unlocking the other ARP, um, ARPU and the other audiences that are out there. And are you managing with the newer generations by touching them on the platforms that they are consuming? So let's take as basic example, Snapchat and TikTok. Do you manage to see a trend of them coming over to then your to your proprietary platforms to actually consume the sports in the way that historically us older people of the industry uh, look at it? Or is it something where, no, it's just about adapting, finding them where they are and leveraging them where they are? Look, that's a great question. And I think this has gone back to when people had websites and it was Google search or other search engines and how do you do SEO? Uh, of course, we're always looking for a way to engage people where they are and then bring them back to where we are. And I think that's always going to be a, um, a circle rather than a one-way relationship. If we look at it as purely, we just want to harness and hunt and bring people over. We're not respecting that people have natural behaviors and patterns, people are going to open their TikTok or their Facebook a hundred more times than they're going to go to a website. And we need to make sure that we're telling the right stories on those platforms when they're snacking and give them a reason to come over. And so it's always interesting to see how these platforms shift and how new ones emerge. You're seeing traffic coming from more and more sources, not less. As time goes, it used to be SEO was driving most of it. Now it's Facebook and and others are driving more and more of the majority. And you're seeing new ones emerge. Um, 
That's not to say that we don't see the potential of a TikTok. Uh, it's already had 5 million followers for us in the MENA region in Arabic. It has about a little over 3 million in France in French. Um, we certainly don't have 3 million people um, following us and watching a live game. Uh, that's not the goal. The goal is to make sure we can really bring what we have to the widest audience possible and make sure they're aware. Give them a reason to connect. Give them a reason to become engaged. And give them a reason to then tune in. And so if we're there in these platforms casually, talking about the weekend, talking about the night, talking about what you're about to see, we think that's a natural on-ramp to then saying, you know what, I'm going to watch this tonight. This sounds really interesting. It's become a natural conversation starter, just the way you would use paid media before to say, tune in tonight. Now it's become, let's talk about the game tonight. That becomes a natural extension of you're going to tune in. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do a good exercise, it's a good free marketing kind of uh, leverage to actually bring people over. Um, and side note, I love the fact that you're already calling Twitter X, but that, now that you refer to what is now meta as Facebook, um, the, it, was, it was the first time I heard somebody refer to Twitter as X. Um, so, and, and so just in terms of where we are, in terms of the linear consumption versus the digital consumption, right? So on the, on the, on the platform that you have developed, How far away are the curves? Are they close to actually crossing in terms of linear consumption versus digital consumption? Or is there still a major gap between people that consume content on linear versus on your digital platforms? I think sports is unique in that it's still the last, it's probably the only thing holding up the traditional television distribution model. And so it's still very, very well distributed there. It's still very, very much a habit that generations are still using to watch as the primary means. Yeah. You're seeing that shift as an industry, I think, more on the entertainment side. You're seeing that shift where linear television, traditional linear television, has now been eclipsed in viewing time by streaming in the U.S. And you're seeing similar patterns emerge in the U.K. and elsewhere in Europe. I think that will continue. A lot of it comes from there was early adoption, there was broadband and uh, 5G, 4G internet penetration. You're seeing that come across but it's going to take time. I think over time, if you forecast out five, 10 years, I don't think the consumer is going to see a difference. They're watching a game. I think we get carried away with thinking about, well, is it linear versus is it streaming? I think because in some markets that matters in how you measure your ads. But I think as a business, as long as you're delivering the content and monetizing it in meaningful ways, and OTT has started to unlock that and fast and AVOD are starting to unlock that from an ad standpoint, I think over time it won't matter. You shouldn't look at it as how many free to air viewers that I have or how many OTT viewers that I have. You should look at it as how many people that I reach, how many hundreds of millions or billions of views that I get in impressions. And were those engaging enough or were they uh, pre-roll where someone didn't really stick around? And I think the former is more important. It's did you get them to stick around? Did you get them to really stay with you? And did they do that in, in a behavior that you could say they're real fans, they're going to come back again? So that's an interesting one. So just in terms of the way the rights are being set up, you feel like five to 10 years from now, it will be, at least in, let's, let's take Europe, right? Uh, it will still be the same kind of packages where it's kind of one, org one uh, broadcaster will win it all in terms of distribution of the content. And there will be no differentiation between linear and digital. It will just be up to the broadcasters or to the people acquiring the rights to have a great experience regardless of the device. I think 
the model of pay versus free is not to be abandoned yet. I think that's going to continue because it's it's very important for you to have the duopoly of monetizing via the engine of subscription and wide reach via the engine of free, whether it's broadcast or free streaming, but free. And that duopoly is really, really critical. I don't think that's going to go away. I think it's critical to create your future fans. I think it's critical to monetize it. But I think this distinction to say it's a pay satellite or a pay telco or a pay cable versus a pay streaming, I think that's going to erode. And I think the the opportunity to say, well, free to air broadcaster, a terrestrial broadcaster is more important, superior to a streaming free to air service, I think that's going to erode. When you see the free fast services now start dominating viewing time spent. That wasn't the situation in the last right cycle. And you're seeing that very quickly take share of ad wallet, share of viewing time, share of attention. I think then that naturally has to erode and it has to become agnostic. I think those definitions were there when we all believe that the first thing you'll turn on is your television, the traditional one that has an antenna and it likely has a paid television. My television is with me all day long because it's my phone. Right. And why should there be this distinction? And the better device that I have, I'll use, but not always. It's not always a foregone conclusion that I'll use the television and stream it on there. So I think those those lines will erode. And I think the packages you're already seeing, you're already seeing uh, you know, this this erosion of let's go create a special boxing day package. You're you're seeing more of a we have a lot of packages. We're gonna take more games. We're going to start pushing things to a boundary that say you'll have four or five broadcasters or two to three instead of just one or two. And how do I take my product and have the maximum viewership for it, whether it's the League One or the Premier League or the Champions League or or the World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting one. The, the one thing also, disc, uh, you know, chatting about it with a lot of broadcasters, a lot of broadcasters are thinking, so there's still a very big gap usually in organizations between content that is thought about for linear and content that is thought about for digital. Those are very often separate teams. It's not considered as content in the middle and then use that same source to actually display the content on linear for linear uh, uh, shows uh, and for digital. Um, you think that five to 10 years from now, we're going to get there and that we're going to get in, uh, we're going to, the organizations are going to be thinking about content channels of distribution, but all in a centralized approach versus a linear versus digital kind of approach? I think you're already seeing it merge. You're seeing newsrooms that have, you know, sort of agnostic approaches of we're creating content. We're finding the best screen to put that content. We have business that we have to think about and making sure we drive that subscription business with a compelling product. You can't give it all for free, uh, if you will. Uh, but a lot of that is natural and that live games are going to go to the best place that you can monetize them. But all the other content, it's becoming very clear that it's about finding the best screen to tell the story. You know, talking about a transfer update, there's no reason you don't go wide with that. You're not going to hold that for 11 p.m. news highlight. You're going to talk about that at the moment it happens and create an audience around it. I think that's already happening now. You're seeing that that breaking of the wall, that sort of merging I won't say that you're going to see fewer people do it. You still need a lot of specialty skill set, but you're going to see a merged approach in that the people who are thinking about telling stories are thinking now, how do I tell stories across all these screens? And you'll have pods that are doing this for, uh, to borrow the term, for podcasting, and you'll have group squads doing this for TikTok, and you have squads doing this for the live game, as well as you have a squad doing it for a magazine show. 
um, because there are unique storytelling skills inside of those. Yeah, but you already have one content, one global content team at BN Sports. That's already the way you are structured. I would say we're structured more regionally by language, right? And so we have to respect that our content in the MENA region in Arabic needs to be in Arabic. And it's not good to just take in English content and package it and push it out. Yeah. And the same in, in France that it's going to be put together. And so it's regional squads doing it by language and being authentic to their audience that they're targeting. But within that squad, it's become very, very merged where you have storytelling happening regardless of platform rather than the linear team and the digital team. And there's some kind of wall. Yeah. Interesting. Um, great. So it's good to have that background in terms of the global organization and what, what digital looks like in an organization like being sports. Let's deep dive into one of the use cases that you guys have been working on for a long time that has now been delivered, which is the Todd platform in the MENA region. Uh, do you want to give us a quick overview of what, uh, what the Todd platform is and what was the purpose of building such a platform? Sure. Um, so we launched this at the beginning of 2022. Um, it was something that we worked on um, with considerable effort because we wanted to completely game change what we did in OTT. And it wasn't just to take what we have on our television side in our, in our traditional product and just put it out there and stream it. It was about how do we make something that has unique content, that has its ability to be a real powerhouse in aggregating a lot of content and giving you the experience that is so immersive and engaging that you can't get through a traditional device. And so we launched that across the MENA region uh, in over 20 countries. It has... Uh, I would say arguably the largest sports offering out there in any one product um, anywhere in the world. Um, there's nothing paralleling it. There is so much sport to watch. There's over 30 channels on sport alone. We have entertainment channels. We have kids channels. We have for the household cooking channels. And we have a 40,000 plus library of VOD entertainment assets inside of it. Um, so it's a linear experience, it's a VOD experience, it's an immersive, engaging experience, and it's multi-screen. You could watch it on your computer, on your phone, and on the go. Uh, you could watch it in your house on a set-top box, uh, like an Android TV or an Apple TV, as well as native apps inside of the Samsungs and the LGs and the Sonys. Uh, we've gone broad, we've gone deep. Uh, we're seeing huge engagement uh, being driven by this engine that we have, which is this unparalleled sports property uh, offer that we have, um, and people sticking around for the entertainment. And that is something that really doesn't exist anywhere. Uh, we've also launched it into Turkey. Uh, so we have a Todd product in Turkey now as well, uh, serving the Turkish audience and the Turkish diaspora. And we think it's a model that has staying power. We think this is something that's going to be the future of Uh, streaming entertainment and streaming sports is to have this whole home complete offer, uh, especially as you see the numerical uh, number of uh, OTT services starting to consolidate. You're seeing people take the sports only and the entertainment only uh, and consolidate them. Um, and, and we think it's very smart. We think it creates a lot of value to have an all-in-one destination. We've launched that um, Not that long ago, but we think it's setting us up for the next chapter in uh, the business of delivering sport and entertainment. Nice. And and it's the first time that being sports gets involved in content outside of sports, right? Uh, not at all, actually. I mean, on the DTH side, uh, being DTH service has been available in MENA since our founding. 
uh, and that's been a complete offer. But it's a DTH offer. You have to go buy a satellite and you have to get it wired up and you have to buy a box and put it onto your TV and watch it. And you can't take that with you on the go. This yeah. is the first time we've seen a full offer with that power of content inside of one service that you can take anywhere uh, and watch on any device. Uh, many of the other ones are really entertainment driven. They might have a smattering of sport. Yeah. Um, they're really, um, there's no differentiation. I can watch movies. I can watch TV shows. I can watch kids content on any OTT service these days, but where can you get that as well as unparalleled sports library and sports rights? Um, we think that's really unique. And is the major consumption on the platform still around sports? Is it definitely still your key asset on that platform or do people naturally tend to go and watch other content on the platform and mostly VOD, I would say. Look, I think it, it, it varies by the audience, of course. And, you know, it's a whole home offer. We have profiles for the family. You have a kid's mode and you have people who can limit the content that, uh, that the profile can see to, to just kids content as well. Um, and so we, we've actively made this a complete family offer. Uh, what's unique is we have an unparalleled uh, array of sports rights. And so for us, as compared to others, of course, sport is going to be the dominant driver of engagement and, and viewing because we have so much of it. I, I think if others had what we had, you'd see them saying, yeah, the sports is a powerhouse and is driving it. You're certainly seeing that for the U.S. and the other OTTs that are out there that uh, their biggest viewership windows, their biggest acquisition windows are driven around sport. And it's, it's not an afterthought, the entertainment library. We have, as I said, tens of thousands of uh, content there and we're launching unique series and we're launching uh, TV shows and we're, we're starting to look at launching unique movies and it's a complete offer, uh, but it's, it's, it's dominated and differentiated by an unparalleled sport offering. Yeah. And so we understand the importance of content, right? Like that's the ultimate word that's been in the broadcast industry forever, that content is king. Uh, but just from our product position, right? And from the digital uh, perspective, what is one of the features that you like that you brought to the platform beyond the content, right? In terms of differentiator uh, that has proven success and, you know, like maybe going more in depth on how that helped with acquisition of users or how that helped with reducing churn or, you know, like what, what is one of the features that you're proud of uh, on that platform? That's a good question. And we're never done in this area, um, but it goes back to what I said earlier in the in the talk is that finding ways to engage that user is really really important. And we were one of the first out there with having an interactive timeline with instant highlights and instant uh, replay and instant short, long, medium highlights um, available inside of the player and not having to go anywhere else. Um, that's been huge. It's been highly highly enjoyed and highly adopted. Uh, we're seeing certainly more and more people come out copying it. Uh, but we've seen that that's something that gives you something that you can't get elsewhere. Um, you have to wait for the, the the television production to tell you what was important to watch, to tell you what was an important moment worth doing a replay. Now you can do it on your own. And it's not just a rewind. It's truly a replay. Uh, there's multiple camera angles in it. There's statistics in real time. And if you missed a game, you can get all of that immersive, rich experience as a replay as well. And so it unfolds in front of you and you can get all this immersive as if you're watching live, which is really important in the region where you have the NBA coming in in the early morning and American sports. But even uh, a lot of the European leagues sometimes finish really late. And so this is a way for you to watch anytime. 
and have this immersive interactive experience. I think we're just getting started. While it's been really, really interesting as a product offer, I think we're just getting started and you're going to see more and more interactive opportunities like that to continue to take that experience and push it forward. Great. So I'm assuming that that is helping a lot with the session length of the users, right? Like all the things you're mentioning. Absolutely. Uh, We we just did, uh, I won't won't name what, but we just did a POC where there was uh, a fully sort of engaged, interactive video experience where it's on all the time. What we've done before, it's sort of, it's at the user's uh, discretion to when they want to go back and do something. Uh, we put on one that almost has like video game mode on. And that one had significantly more viewing length and adoption. And we were, we were surprised with how much of the audience quickly shifted over to that version. Yeah. Uh, and that was something that we tried this summer. And uh, I think you're seeing this. This is the, the the sandbox where there's going to be a lot of experimentation. You're finding audience is really willing to take something that is a lot more um, I would even some say would say it's dirtying the experience for the purist, but is really making it fun and engaging and interesting for the one that wants something more. And what's nice is we didn't get rid of the uh, the regular version. We just said, you know what? Here's another version. Here here's another way to go take this experience. And I've seen this in some of the uh, products in the in in the other markets where they now have five versions of one game. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll have the regular version. And I don't mean by multi-camera angles. There's one version with separate uh, color commentators. And there's another version with a completely video game type of experience. And then there's another version with four camera angles. And all of a sudden there's like, and then there's a version in uh, a different language. And the user can pick. And I think people are expecting that choice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a funny one. Uh, you, you were meant, uh, talking about the purists. I remember having a very a conversation where I felt very ashamed after understanding who I was talking to, but about the whole noble feet versus the dirty, what was called a dirty feet or less quality, but that the younger generation strive for. It's always, it's always one that's funny to compare in terms of younger audiences versus older generations that still have that sentiment of that one perfect feet from the producer for linear content that has a lot of advantages and that works definitely works super well. Uh, but, but it's a different kind of mindset that we're getting into as uh, younger consumers. Um, we like to, 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 to close up our podcast with three typical questions. Um, one of them is understand a little bit, where do you think digital is going five years from now? Like, do you think there will be more players? Do you think there will be less players? Do you think there will be consolidation? Like if you had to have an, uh, a, a guess, what would it look like, uh, five years from now? Um, that's a long time in digital. That's an incredibly long time. And if if you can predict what's going to go right next year, you you'd be uh, you'd be a very very successful person. All I, all I can say is that any notion of what we think the players are is going to change. Um, I think it was clear for a while uh, the big three or four digital players who 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 was going to go become more and more active because yeah. it was important towards their business, and who was just experimenting and withered away and. That was more clear when you had just a few big players. I think now with CTV and fast TV, who knows? Maybe the free-to-air broadcaster is going to be one of the fast players in the next cycle in in five or 10 years. So it's hard to say that it's going to shrink, but it's certainly going to get more interesting and it's going to be harder and harder to predict. Yeah. And it's going to be harder and harder to deliver all platforms. Um, that, that, that That's an interesting one and a fun one, but yet a complicated one. Um, the other one we like to ask is, 
we like to have our 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 guests suggest a good series, a good book, a good movie that they saw recently in the sports uh, area. Um, what would be a recommendation of yours? In the sports area, that's a good one. Well, I'd have to say on uh, Apple TV, I think the the obvious one would be the one I won't name, but the one that I enjoyed with my kids was Swagger. And it was interesting because it talked about the hustle. It talked about this, the the struggle. And it talked about everything that you have to go through as an athlete outside of being an athlete and yeah. something that was really, really amazing to watch with the family. And we all would have conversations about it over dinner for weeks afterwards. Um, I think Apple is really on it talking about the stories and not just doing, let's bring you the well-known and let's bring you the team and bring you closer, but let's give you stories. And I think sport is more than just the game. It's everything else off the game and off the floor. And that was a really great show that covered it. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- there are a lot of great shows coming out these days because people understand the, the, the value of the stories behind the, behind the, the athletes more than the victories only. Um, but yeah, Swagger is a good recommendation and maybe outside of sports then, because you said in sports, but outside of sports, would you have a recommendation? Uh, outside of sports? Uh, I wouldn't say recent. I think it, it, it goes back to something that's uh, from a bygone era. Uh, there was a TV show called MacGyver. And I think there's this concept of you got to MacGyver something, which is you got to find a way to unlock and, and find a solution to whatever problem you're, you're hitting. And it's that show that still sticks with me as what digital is about. You're always trying to play this puzzle and try to figure out a solution. And it doesn't end. Every day is a different one of that, of that show. And every day is a, what do I have in front of me and what can I do to find a solution rather than okay, I can't do this. That's, that's not an option. Right. And so that show to me is a, a really interesting one in terms of how I look at the digital space. That's an interesting one. That's a car curveball. I would never have expected uh, you to bring up MacGyver here, but uh, <laughs> I'm dating myself here a little bit, but uh, you know, it's, it's one that still stands the test of time. I think if you haven't seen it, definitely go out and watch a show on YouTube. Thanks a lot for your time, Bavesh. There's uh, so much in a relatively short amount of time, um, but it was a pleasure taking the time to exchange with you. Thank you so much, Sam, for having me. Uh, having me. It's been great, and uh, have a good Friday. Thank you. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. As usual, if you like the episodes, don't hesitate to talk about it uh, around you. Go give us the good grades on all the different platforms, and hope to see you soon for our next episode. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we love creating them. If you like the episode, feel free to comment, rate, and share with people around you. You can visit our website, www.lastsource.io, to learn more about our activities. You will discover a wide range of articles and can subscribe to our newsletter to receive the latest tech and sports news in your mailbox every month. Stay tuned for new episodes. Le Corner.